All right, here we are, Samir. Uh, we're doing it, another episode of Halal Cartels. What's going on, man? Man, just living my life. Uh, yeah, recent dad, getting caught up in the vortex. Everyone loves Raymond. Right. Are, are you I've, Raymond? What, you know are, what? You, are you never, a sitcom dad yet? I've never watched that show, like in its entirety. I've never watched an episode in its entirety. I've only uh, watched pieces of it at like a car dealership or something while I was waiting for like my car to be like fixed. Do you know what I'm saying? It was just like snippets at someone's house. Sure. Or at, you know, as I, I walk in. I had a roommate and he kept the TV on all day. He was a bartender. So he'd be home during the daytime, uh, just putzing around the house. And every time I would come home from work for like work, or uh, wake up out of my room and go out into the living room, he would have TV on. And invariably, it was Everybody Loves Raymond. I was like, you love this show. You're horny for Raymond. And he constantly denied it. He was like, no, it's just when you walk in. I but... will come in here every 15 <laughs> minutes and it'll be Everyone Loves Raymond. Sure. It was just what was on in syndication at the time. And it felt to me as though uh, they like every station had bought four or five hour blocks of that show and just had it playing well so what the hell was that show about literally was it I like mean, wait, waiting do... for a godot like that book waiting for godot where you're like what's that book really about i have to read it but sure i think it was just it, it's just um about uh marriage about well, everybody loves raymond sure sure the purgatory of sort of like an endless marriage but that's but, what I most mean, sitcoms are that's what i was gonna say is like it's like a cynicism of marriage where people are like, I tolerate my like spouse. Sure. Well, I'm Better reading a book spend. right now. I'm reading a book on uh, the like eight characters of comedy. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm only an eighth through it. This is my New Year's resolution. But um, so you've read one... through one character. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the logical character. And uh, the logical character is always the voice of reason on the show. So, um, and uh, one of the main archetypes or tropes is uh, the, the woman, the put upon wife in the relationship. So like uh, the Marge Simpson would be like the logical one, the voice of reason, you know? Uh, and it's not always the smartest person on the show, but it's the one who is like the straight man uh, and everyone around them is zany and wacky and they kind of have to be the caretaker and uh, fix the mess after, after the scheme goes awry. So like uh, the, a male example would be Ricky Ricardo, right? right? Because Lucy's the one that's always getting, getting in trouble. And then Ricky's like got a, you know, he's, she's got some explaining to do. Right. Right. But on And everyone, he's like yeah. pissed and he's like, but I'm going to figure this out. Exactly. Exactly. Right. He's, he's the angry dad every episode, you know, because uh, Lucy's coming home with like pie, pie on her face or, you know, she's got herself into another tap dancing contest or, she got a job when she wasn't supposed to. Dude, I literally feel like we're the last generation to know about that show. Well, like, I, do, do you yeah. Gen Z like throw like have TikToks about that now? Are they like, remember Lucy? It's like, yo, you were negative 24 years old when that show was on. Well, as a recent dad, I expect you to kind of have pop culture blind spots at this point. But uh, there is now, I think, a movie that just came out uh, called about the Ricardos, starring Javier Bardem as Desi. Oh, shit. as Desi. Yeah. So the uh, so Lucy's gonna have a, a resurgence among these Gen Z kids watching. So right there, your hypothesis uh, they, they sunk they sunk <laughs> fuck the battleship of your hypothesis right there. It's timeless. It's timeless. But they painted him as this archetype like super macho um misogynistic like cuban man you know which breaks my heart because it's like i mean that was the character in the show so it would be like stupid if they didn't i mean i, don't, I haven't seen it yet meaning you've never seen the you i'm talking about the show though i mean he was i don't know i don't know how, how mean he i don't know anything it seemed lovable like i know that the show uh when i I had a friend who was a teacher at NYU, a script writing teacher. And for her television screenplay writing class, uh, I would come in as an actor 
and play uh, characters from I Love Lucy because her final assignment for her class was that they had to write I Love Lucy scripts because she thought it was a perfect comedic sitcom. Really? Yeah. I guess I need to watch it. It's been a really long time. You got to go back. You got to dig through. The, I mean, you know, they, they made the show Lucille Ball. She was like one of the number one first um, queens of sitcom comedy. What happened after I Love Lucy, though? I mean, was... she, she was still kicking around. There was more Lucy shows. Oh, really? Yeah. Lucy got old. She, she... <laughs> like lit. <laughs> She did. Yeah. It was like uh, 19, probably early 1980s stuff where it yeah. was like, oh, Lucy's old now. This is what Lucy's up to. Yeah, Lucy Lucy was doing stuff until she died. Oh, shit. Yeah, man. This is what happens when we talk about stuff we don't research, though. Yeah, no. It's I'm like, I'm like, just, speculation. I'm like, I should definitely, yeah, I should definitely check this out on Wikipedia or something. You're doing all right, though. As yeah, a, man. You, the kids are okay. Yeah, kids are okay. Um, very, very um, vigorous. They're just like about eating every couple hours. And mm-hmm. then uh, they take their time and stuff. And um, yeah, that can just like be overlaying into each other, you know? So it's like at points you feel like Kramer in that Seinfeld episode where like Kenny Rogers' chicken opens up. And you're just like, I haven't slept, man. You know? Well, uh, hopefully uh, schools are uh, in better shape by the time they grow up and get to go to them. (laughs) Dude, I was listening to NPR today and they were talking about Boston public schools right now. Boston? Yeah, just Boston. And like how many teachers had to call out sick. And then Chicago, I saw one on strike. But I'm curious, like, what you have to say about all this, because this is really uh, crazy. Well, uh, first off, I'm uh, super grateful that I uh, decided to leave the pu- being a public school teacher years ago because uh, all of my friends that are still teaching right now in public schools are having anxiety attacks and nervous breakdowns and completely at wit's end. They're done. It's a wrap. And even if they finish this year, they've all got PTSD from it. And all the kids who are being forced to go into the buildings are equally being traumatized by having to go into like basically uh you know petri dishes for coronavirus right so it's it is gross to have to go into the school buildings and uh there's all these pictures on twitter um of uh kids like these half-filled rooms and the kids are wearing their jackets because uh, the windows have to be open for ventilation and it's like was like 30 degrees in New York City yesterday. So these kids are in classrooms with the windows open, 30 degree air just blowing through. And they're dressed in uh, all of their clothes like they uh, survived a, a airplane crash in the Andes. Oh, my you know, God. Just it's like alive. Yeah, dude. So uh, so if you've got to go into that building as the teacher and, um, you know, right there, that's like you feel abandoned by the entire government because the government's just saying, deal with it, go in there. And for the kids, half of them come in, the other half don't. So there's no instruction happening anyway, because like when I was teaching, if I had a lesson and half of the kids were there and I taught that lesson the next day, the half that wasn't there, they can't just pick up where uh, we left off. I have to backtrack and do the lesson from yesterday again. And then all the kids that were there yesterday are now bored and upset. And then they tune out and uh, they basically check out. They're that much closer to dropping out. They, they're done. They're yeah, because you just made them watch a rerun the next day. Sure. Nobody yeah. wants to watch a rerun the next day of, yeah. pr- of a mediocre lesson. Right, because uh, you you get you taught them that with the windows open and in a terrible situation. So then the kids that are uh, that that are showing up today, you're like, they're also um, just nothing about it is good because you have to kind of be on the same page together, and the fact that they're that they're not means that no one's having a good time, no one's having a good education, everybody feels left behind. So you might as well have had them all remote, 
like because then we'd all be on the same page and that's like the thing i'm hearing is like the war against remote and a lot of it sounds like parents who can't send their goddamn kids that's right they shouldn't have had them yeah but am i right though about that because like this is a serious question like i'm listening to um various like news segments right and they'll have like both sides of the equation and it'll be your typical like woke parent who's like also not trying to like fill their home with germs and they're like look i'm not gonna lie like I will um, have to keep my kid at home because this is dangerous. But then there's parents who are like, are you kidding me? I have to make a living. And like, these kids are driving me mad. Absolutely mental. And I'm like, so school also is childcare. Yes. So, okay. But here's the thing. Uh, the school, every, no, no one's excited about being remote. I'm excited about being remote because I am single and I hate commuting. So I like being remote, but I'm not uh, the rule. I also have a very standard curriculum that I don't have to tailor to specific kids. I see, I see new kids all the time and it's a, it's the same pat uh, routine that I do with them. But for a classroom teacher, they do not want to be remote, right? It's, it's more work to have to monitor 30 kids on the zoom screen. Um, the kids don't necessarily want to be remote. They want to be together. Uh, it, so the very fact that teachers are saying we should be remote right now is a testament to how uh, scared or like rightfully concerned they are about the health crisis. Our United States it has not set up a safety net where um, we have adequate childcare or where we have adequate, adequate maternity leave. Like, I don't even understand how people have kids in this country to be like, it's weird that you did. My yeah, friend, I'm like, I'm like discovering exactly what you're saying right now. And I'm feeling the fucking same way, dude. Like dude. my head is exploding. Like I'm in a place where literally I'm full time committed to taking care of these infant twins with my wife. And that's not enough. And so I don't understand how people live in a world where you just go like all right we just had these two kids let's go back to right back to a few weeks ago like yeah it's it's impossible and it's insane it's like my my friends that were serious about having kids and like thought about it and were intelligent married german dudes and then they had sex with germans because like in europe there's childcare and safe playgrounds and walkable city spaces so like an abundance of them so you know yeah, europe, and then europe they could is like where, move there yeah europe is where you do it you really can't uh be unless you're mega wealthy you can't really uh do have having kids like in the u.s correctly but like the schools don't necessarily have to be entirely close because i've heard some harebrained arguments um on my on facebook to be honest like trolls were um i had one tweet that went viral no big deal but it was basically about how uh the the best place sarcastically i'm like right uh, the best place for the kids to be right now is these dilapidated schools with the windows open wearing their coats uh being taught by a skeleton crew of demoralized teachers who feel disillusioned because all of our public leaders have abandoned them i said that's the best place for the kids to be and these dummy trolls on my facebook page were like Actually, schools are the best place. I saw that happening. A lot, you know, because a lot of kids, it is the best place for them. And I'm like, yeah, duh, it is. And they're they're acting like, I don't know this. Like, yeah, uh, they're they're saying things like, well, it's the only place they can go see a nurse or it's the one hot meal a day that they get. And I go, you're right. It is the best place. Isn't that the dystopian nightmare that we live in? Like, why is nothing um, set up for kids to have... uh, a hot, a hot meal outside of outside of school, school. exactly or, uh, a free clinic to go to outside of the school nurse but the thing is is that if the schools right now are completely ghost ships skeleton crews because almost everyone's sick the nurse is not there right like the hot meals they're not going to the cafeteria because they're not congregating so uh, the school could still be, the, the cafeteria could be open. What if we, we shut down the schools and the cafeterias were open? 
So you could still go to your local school to get your one hot meal and then go home. You could still set up the rooms and have them be daycare without forcing teachers to go through um, the, the motions of teaching half the kids a bullshit lesson. Right. I mean, that's what you're saying. I mean, it could be a stripped down version where it's like looking after kids, but like, how are you going to effectively teach when it's half the kids and you're in the middle of the pandemic is what you're saying. So like all these teachers are just going to burn out. They're all burned out already and they're going to quit in mass. And anybody who has the means to leave will leave. Uh, right. The other, the other so thing. So that's is, your your prediction is a mass exodus from teaching. I also think that this is gonna like welcome back Donald J. Trump in twenty twenty four. One hundred percent, that yeah. dude is coming back, and a reason is that one of like the main voting blocks for Democrats is uh, teachers who are active in the unions, and so far uh, the Democratic Party has gone to war with the teachers and the teachers unions. So shout outs to Lori Lightfoot, shout outs to Eric, uh, whatever the, our new mayor is, Eric um, Adams yeah, and, uh, and Joe Biden for just like, and the CDC for selling the teachers out. Because it's not that they're going to vote Republican in, in three, two years, three years, they're just not going to vote. Right. And, and, that, and then it's, it's a wrap, son. It's a wrap. We're just going to get like a fascist Republican in here in 2024 because the dems have shown that they do not care yeah they don't though they never really (laughs) did and like this is the most apparent they're making it the weirdest thing is right like they would have some reason to care or pretend to care if they were actually the same ass people were running next time but they show no indication that they're even going to give it a good old-fashioned college try which is what really seriously disturbs me because there is no contender bro there's no contender and then you have a team of balloon heads that are just completely um like into their own shit like hyping their own energy drinks and literally like insider trading like just doing like rife with criminality and depravity and so like nobody wants to vote for them it's going to become this just bizarre landslide for like a right-wing government yeah that this one doesn't qualify as like right-wing either like this is not even centrist this is like very very right oh dude we're fully jokerified over here like the fact that eric adams is the mayor and within the first (laughs) the first four days like the mask came off and the mask was never on but there was just it really was this uh, between the devil and the deep blue sea type moment where the race was between him and a full-blown fascist, uh, like red beret wearing weirdo vigilante who loved cats. Literally. And their debate was one of the most crazy things I've seen in my fucking life. Dude, no lie. I don't know if you ever saw that debate that was on like New York public TV of Eric Adams and, um, Curtis Saliba. Yeah. Dude, it was literally like crazier than like WCW wrestling from early 90s. I'm not kidding you when I say that. It was so classless and just um, insane and um, baseless and had nothing to do with all of the problems that face daily New Yorkers by any means. And it was just blow for blow insult. And it was cheap, like cheap slapstick comedy. And I was like, this cannot be a reality. Like New York is one of the largest economies in the world. And it is a clown show of two complete airheads um, going tit for tat. Like I was shocked when I saw that. We must live in, I, I don't even know, like, well, is this I, a simulation? Because like th- that is crazy. This is the best of all possible worlds. We got a uh, New Jersey resident, uh, former cop, yeah, now the mayor of the city, and he's like, "We got our swagger back. We got our sweat." Like that is was his Bro. opening salvo. Was like, "We got to make sure we get our our swagger back." New York is. I'm sick to my city. stomach. He's such a loser, and they called him out on not being a New York resident. 
And I was like disgusted at his response. He was like, of course I was. He's like, I lived there uh, from like the like June of like 1989 to like August of 89. I was doing an internship or some shit. It was like some garbage. And it was literally worse than if he just said I never stepped foot on the soil of New York City. It was on some like disgusting shit where he was like i was there from the dates of august 29th through august 31st 2003 and i was like dude get the fuck out of here you stayed at the hilton in times square <laughs> <laughs> you won like a lottery at like a concrete company get the fuck out of here so that's who's in charge and he's uh he's he he's refusing to shut down the school's so shout outs to Chicago for um, for uh, for their union saying let's go remote, you know, against the wishes of Lori Lightfoot, hopefully uh, that in New York City, the UFT does the same thing and uh, they go remote as well, where hopefully things, um, you know, taper down and this uh, Omicron variant uh, burns out since it, it infects people so quickly like I, like I'm still still testing negative my man. Uh, had a very solitary birthday on December 22nd, you know, uh, just cooked some steaks and uh, watch, watched movies, but uh, no big party. And that was the night we were going to have Funhouse. So we canceled Funhouse and the next time we're going to have Funhouse is, what is it? Uh, January 19th. If, January 19th. Uh, yeah. If, Provided if, that things have subsided by then. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, you know, we like to do a live show every Wednesday at 10 p.m. at Pete's Candy Store in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Yeah, but if you listen to the previous episode, we talk about it, but we had to take this hiatus. But there are still, like, quote-unquote grinders out there um, just doing shows during this whole time. But it became more and more apparent, you know, where it was, like, it became almost like a comedy in itself of, like, seeing (laughs) who was still, like, who was still pumping out like shows you're like yeah well, are you for real here's my plan here's what i think joe biden should do he should sign an executive order to conscript every uh comedian who does free bar shows who's already tested positive and gotten over covid to uh go work in the schools turn all <laughs> of amazing. The, all of the open mic bar comics uh make them substitute teachers until yeah, you just gave away an over. amazing tv show idea <laughs> that'd be an amazing cartoon if basically <laughs> an entire new workforce takes over for like a workforce that was like fed up and dejected yeah and they and they're the, like the dirty dozen in. it'd yes. be like all, all of the <laughs> all uh, a dozen unhygienic comedians that all got covid yes uh, two three weeks ago and got over it are like Hey man, you know, I'm still having trouble paying my rent. And then uh, CDC agents show up at their doors and take them to run a run a school. Yes, dude. You literally are giving away the most golden idea. And the producer, the COVID. producer becomes the principal. That's it. The producer of the show becomes yeah. the principal. Well, now write it. I've got this book, the uh, eight eight comedy characters. So so yeah. we just fill one in for each archetype. That's a good $20, $30 million movie right there. Yeah, all we need to do is get Adam McKay and uh, Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell signed up to it. That's our next step. It's 2022, baby. We're like two weeks in, and you just came up with a brilliant idea. Your girl uh, is in the news. Uh, Our our favorite um, con artist, who we've never spoken about before on the show. Oh, uh, God. We're both kind of obsessed with Elizabeth Holmes. Elizabeth fucking Holmes, though. Um, <laughs> Steve Jobs Jr., you're talking about? <laughs> Yo, I cannot. She's a great, she would have been a great impressionist comedian. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, the Steve Jobs, like, fandom thing was so dark. It's so, it's really hard. Uh, yeah. Yo, she literally used the excuse that um, her Indian subordinate guy that like her vp or like co whatever they were like her business partner yeah her business partner if you will was the one who was like doing all the dirt 
and I read some things about it and it was like, yo, in this climate, she's out here like blaming this like dude and being like, he was the one who got me to do this shit. The POC. The, yeah, man the of POC, color. bro. The man of color, like coming in very Mandingo cliche, right? Like the corruptible, like balloon head of like a woman, you know? Yes. Yeah. The, in- the innocent blonde woman. Right. Who was like, I just don't even know what's going on here. And it's like, you know, the thing about Theranos that really blows my mind is it was like a Montessori kid gone wild. (laughs) Right. I've heard you talk about this Montessori kid thing, but I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast. What, what is your theory about the Montessori kids? Yeah. They hype their shit up. They go like, yo, what do you like? And they go like, I like balloons. They go like, Oh my God, are you for real? You could be like the world's foremost balloon expert. You know what I mean? You just need the tools to become the balloon man. And then they go like, oh my God, I'll be the balloon man. And they just like big them up so hard and like go like, to be the balloon man, you've got to like figure this thing out or some shit. You know what I'm saying? And so like everyone becomes around like Willy Wonka like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory shit right so uh so the the way that they teach them is um very it's very individualistic uh tailored educations that are all about building up the uh like unfounded confidence and self-esteem of a kid to follow through with whatever their inane project is exactly and i love how you're saying man because a lot of like montessori people i meet have an end projects but i'm like amazed at their follow-through and they're like dreamscaping to try and make them happen but you're like yo like your idea is like so stupid <laughs> but like everything else you're doing is so admirable and great yes it's so sad so so like a perfectly executed scaffolding and blueprinting Yes. uh, Making an NFT ape. Yeah. (laughs) Also, NFT apes, though. Yeah. I'm like, it's just a testament to how stupid the world we live in is and how realistically we live in a simulation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. People are buying buying the visage of a cartoon ape for actual money. Well, what I like is you can just take a screenshot of what they bought. Yes. And you have it. Yeah. And you go like, that's mine. That's my NFT <laughs> of that NFT. <laughs> that's my one of one NFT of that NFT. So your girl, uh, Elizabeth Holmes, was like a Montessori school kid. And uh, I, I like uh, half of the story, right? I like the half of the story where she completely ripped off a bunch of venture capitalists. Good. Yeah. Right? Amazing. That's on that, like, man. You could do that, you know? It's <laughs> yeah. like, hey, I'm happy to. Yeah, it's a very, I mean, we live in a, we live in a uh, society where um, we love con artists. And also we've got this mantra, which is like buyer beware. So it, it you know, which is insane to me that we have this idea that the person there, we don't have any like consumer um, protections. You know, the only reason that she got in trouble was because she stole money from a bunch of very wealthy people who had power. Yeah. And they were like pissed that they're being made a fool of. Yes. Yeah. Late in the game, though, because they were just drinking the Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's like an article in the New York Times that glosses over a lot of this, but it basically says that she couched everything she said within the... Um, like language of Silicon Valley, you know? And she used all of the, these like sort of toxic positive terms that were ways for her to like negate criticism. So anybody that asked too many questions, she'd just be like, you're a hater. <laughs> Don't be a hater. And like, I hear that from like my grind culture friends who are like, why are you harshing my dreams? Like, don't be a hater. And it's like, it, it's not hate it's like skepticism is um logic like it is part of every team needs the skeptic every team needs the guy who troubleshoots and like 
wonders what the problems could be. Like whenever I wrote a lesson plan, I would train new teachers, right? So here's an example. I would train new teachers and every one of them would come in with like Theranos levels of toxic positivity. Like they're like, I'm gonna reach these kids or like, this is gonna be the best lesson ever. They're all gonna be slam poets. And so they would come in and my, I would role play the worst possible student that they could have. And sometimes they'd cry. And it's like, well, look, uh, the reason we're doing this now is so that when you get into the classroom and that actually happens, you will have had it happen once. And it's almost like martial arts training. So you can block the punch, you can block the heckle, you can, you can hear the kid, you, you know all the scenarios that might happen. So now you can actually do that like dream theater nonsense that you wanted to do and teach the slam poetry class. But like- That's if, amazing. If somebody like uh, criticizes you right off the bat and you just go, don't be a hater. Like you don't learn anything from that. Oh, absolutely. But it takes a certain person to be able to do that too. To not like actually go like, wait a minute, what is this person saying? Like to just deflect it by being like, don't be a hater. You're not very self-reflexive, you know? Yeah, but, but, I said, it, but it, it worked for her to do that. It totally did, but that's the whole thing. She had like no conscience. Her whole <laughs> shit was like, her whole shit was just goal-driven, like psychotic shit, like um, it was like very um, robotic like must achieve goal at any cost and the whole concept was fake it till you make it which Anno was, yeah oh my you God. can't do that with something impossible right it's like I'm gonna lie to people that human beings can fly and I'm just gonna make it happen <laughs> it's like yeah you cannot fly like Dude, and no that's but what it was Okay, but I'm going to push back because that is exactly what like Eckhart Tolle, new agey dudes will say like uh, human evolution and pro progress is actually against um, nature like feathers feathers are are, are our way or life's way of getting around gravity. You know, or if you told somebody a thousand years ago like you the, humans will never fly. Like you're 100% true, correct. But like we did eventually make airplanes. We just didn't right. do it magically. That's like the thing is like um, all of our progress is based on troubleshooting and being skeptical and like refining. And, uh, but con artists and like a lot of new age scammers have a way of, of like shutting down the logical part of your brain to just be like, you can do it. Uh, with no critical thought right like how how could somebody say what theranos was saying and not just immediately be shut down that's what's so crazy like even the layman would have to abandon all reality to believe in that dream and people with like zillions of dollars were drinking the kool-aid what the fuck it's crazy it's absolutely insane people love privatized healthcare. So, <laughs> people do and also know, how did yeah. this woman get away on like a bunch of other cats like it what she was found guilty on like four of the cats or something or what or she mm -hmm. got away with four of the cats well what do you mean how did she get away with no, no i'm saying like they just like couldn't agree on a bunch of cats against her it's and funny so it just being like you're garbage and a crazy person you're guilty of all this uh i wonder if if the other things that she was guilty of are just so commonplace that for her to get in trouble for them would indict uh, so many other of these like little startups that have scammed venture capitalists for money. Kind of what this article was bringing up in the New York Times was that Silicon Valley was trying to say she was an anomaly. In reality, she was, maybe she was just par for the course. Like she, she was just the most egregious example and like got caught. She didn't do anything that was like outside of the realm of normal. Actually, I love that. And I believe that now when, when I think about it, it's like most people are just um, piss and vinegar and not yeah. real. Yeah. Well, what these, about like, that WeWork guy? 
you know, the WeWork guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or what's up yeah. with Tesla? Like every week, Tesla says some other wild shit that it just sounds batshit crazy. Yeah, it's all like smoke and mirrors and like wild, like uh, magic. Not really rooted in. And you got to, uh, there's, the, there's the other thing that kind of insulates these people, which is having the right allies. Having most cons work because the person being conned is embarrassed to uh to say that they got ripped off yeah so there's there's that but then also um if you surround yourself with enough followers that co-sign your uh your hogwash your flim flam then it becomes even harder to pierce that shell so like if henry kissinger and joe biden are both backing your idea then uh for you to get in trouble the house of cards has to tumble and they both have to look like fools yeah so everyone props it up yeah that's like so yeah scam life though that's like scam life like it's always like propped up by entire webs of people who are like no i can't go down yeah yeah if if someone else's reputation is part of the collateral damage they are more likely to defend you or to make sure that this thing goes away, (laughs) which is why Jeffrey Epstein had to die. Exactly. Too many people in that flight log. And it's insane that that flight log is not brought up every single day. Yeah, I know. They love to bury that somehow. How did they really systematically bury it? I bet you there's a data is beautiful person who can actually show how it got washed away from like public conscience but like we all know that flight log existed yeah man I, how how does bill gates do an, a single interview without it being brought up at least four times every interview so tell like, me yeah. more about the lolita express so tell <laughs> yeah, me more about like... little st james island so what'd you do when you were on little st james island bill gates were you boogie boarding snorkeling what, what uh, uh spear fishing barracuda how was what? the flight what what did you drink on the flight exactly and like what also i'm fascinated by the fact that nobody goes like hey there's really nothing to do on that island you know other than the obvious <laughs> so like you mean they didn't how, have a lu- they didn't have a luau every night <laughs> exactly they're like actually there's a conference center anyway she's in trouble and um Shout outs to her for ripping off a bunch of rich people and don't fall for uh, people that are overly uh, positive, enthusiastic and shut you down whenever you're critical uh, for being a hater. Yeah, it's okay to be skeptical and to be a cynic. That's what I have to say on this podcast. We have people we want to give shout outs to, huh? Oh, shit. Shout out to Maui Comics, Alika from Maui Comics, an avid listener and a great friend. Maui Comics, what, what's uh, what's Alika do? So Alika owns Maui Comics, and they are uh, a comic book shop on Maui, and uh, very big in the community in Hawaii, in the comic book community there, and in uh, Comic-Con on Maui. And uh, yeah, Alika is a really great friend, listens to the podcast, recommends it. People in Hawaii are listening to the podcast. I just want to shout him out. Yeah, we love Hawaii. Uh, and if you're a longtime listener, <laughs> you know that we talk about it every third or fourth episode. Uh, we just reference luau's here, uh, you know, on Little St. James Island, which is not part of Hawaii's archipelago. Um, yeah. I went to a, a luau on Maui before, by the way, uh, not having anything to do with Maui comics. But when I was in middle school, uh, my parents, one way that they would get us into uh, fancy events is that whenever we traveled, they would take a day and go to a timeshare pitch. And so we went oh. to this, yeah, we went to a timeshare uh, pitch in Maui and they brought my brother and sister and I. And the thing about these is that they'll have like three or four uh, lunatic Willie Loman salespeople who are dressed up in Hawaiian shirts. And one after another, they will talk your ear off for an hour. So it's like, okay, you got to be here for three hours. That's the, that's the deal. If you stay with us at this timeshare pitch for three hours, you will get uh, 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 tickets to a luau and a show. 
so you'll get to see the pig get roasted. You'll get to see some dancing from some local traditional dance troupe. It's going to be great. The whole family gets tickets. Uh, oh my God. But yes. You got, you got to sit through the whole pitch. So my parents would bring us to this thing. And one guy would sit down in front of us and just be like, dude, I've been in Hawaii for like 10 years. It was great. I used to live in LA, a lot of nonsense. Where are you all from? Oh yeah. You guys are from Oakland. Yeah. Dude, I love uh, NorCal's awesome. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Uh, you know, so I moved from LA here. I got a wife. She's a Hawaiian lady. So great. The people here are so great. You're going to love it. If you stay here, uh, you guys want some fresh uh, pineapple juice while you're here. The pineapple juice here is fantastic. <laughs> so then somebody comes in and gives you pineapple juice. You want some coffee? How about the kids? They want a Coke? Cool. So let's talk about this place. So what are you guys thinking? You're thinking you want to get like, how big a unit do you want? The timeshares are great. It's such a great investment. And uh, my parents would just like stare at these guys, like glassy eyed, just like look through them. And after about an hour, the first salesman would run out of steam. And it was almost like a, like a croupier at the casino where they tap in a new dealer. And uh, then the next salesperson would get tapped in just fresh as a daisy. And, and he or she, they would go through like a different version of the exact same Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross pitch. And uh, my parents just had the fortitude for it, man. So they would make these salespeople cry and uh, just out of frustration. And then, uh, and so we got tickets to go to this luau in Maui and we're at the table with like maybe 15 other people. And then right next to our <laughs> table at the next table was none other than Ted DiBiase. The million dollar, million dollar man. man, dude. Hell yeah. And I he cannot was, believe it. He was eating with another wrestler type looking dude. I thought, oh it, was, I thought it was IRS. And, um, you know, but they're, <laughs> like, IRS. <laughs> they're in civilian clothes. So, no. uh, so I took a dollar bill over there and I had Ted DiBiase sign my dollar bill. And then we had delicious uh, uh, roasted pork luau dinner and watched some fantastic traditional Hawaiian dancing. Oh my God, man, you're blowing my mind because I got to tell you. So that's a, uh, so much of my childhood is exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> my mom would ice cold these people. My mom would stonewall these fools. And, and my mom and dad would be the ones who would go to the meetings. They wouldn't really normally have us kids there. Yeah. And um, my mom pulled this shit like a few, probably seven years ago. We went to Hawaii and they had to go to one of these like timeshare meetings. And my mom was like maximizing her like whatever Marriott points or something. And they were trying to like hook her on a timeshare. So my mom like squeezed out all these amazing things from this whole thing. And all she had to do was go to this presentation. And she went and brought my nephew, who was a baby at the time. And he like blew his diaper up so hard and my mom was like i have to change my my uh, grandson's diaper and then the like salesperson was like i'm gonna kill myself <laughs> <laughs> and right. they squeeze out of there dude it's so it's great because it's kind of like when you've got a um one of those uh telemarketers and they're not allowed to hang up so you do oh, anything yeah. you want to torture them but they, they can't be the ones that hang up. So it's like with these salespeople, you know, you just bring like three or four uh, diuretic babies in the room <laughs> with you <laughs> and uh, just have them like poop, but out of sync. So it's like one after the other, after the other, like, you know, when you, you know, when you have a whole room of kids sing row, row, row your boat, but they don't start at the same time. <laughs> oh my God. So it's just like four buttholes all singing row, row, row your boat. <laughs> <laughs> this is my life right now basically hell yeah dude i'm like dude mm -hmm. and, oh my uh, god and then you just say no i'm so interested keep keep talking to me and uh you just you just make them keep talking to you while these kids are like uh chocolate fountaining out of their backsides <laughs> oh my god and then you're like all right i'm gonna go see david bland thanks so much <laughs> Oh, uh, thanks like, for these Penn and Teller tickets. Exactly. You're like, uh, thanks for the Penn and Teller meet and greet. Um, also, you're going to need to call someone to clean that yeah. that uh, trash can up because it's full of shit. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah man. Shout outs to Maui Comics. Uh, next time anybody who listens to this is in Maui, go there, check them out. Go Fuck yeah, man. They, they do the Maui Comic Con and um, man, great, great dude, Alika. I love the guy. He's a brother <laughs> to me. And um, I, yeah, just a huge supporter of the show. So I had to shout him out. Yeah. And anybody out there, if you're traveling and you need to get like a free a free boat ride to Isla de las Mujeres while you're in Cancun, go to a timeshare meeting down there and just terrorize the salespeople. It's like a two hour, <laughs> it's like a two hour presentation, but then the next day you'll get a 8 a.m. ride for free to Isla de las Mujeres in uh, Cancun. But sometimes the reward's not that good. They're like a free beach ball and like a sandwich. <laughs> and you're like, yo, I'm not trying to withstand these shenanigans yeah, for a sandwich and a beach ball. I think, I think, I think we did it, man. I think we did. Yeah, it. I'm really, I'm excited to, uh, uh, you know, today I went and uh, I'm not, I'm not doing any live shows until like the 15th or 16th. Uh, when we start our, our next shows, uh, January 19th, 19th, but I'm not doing any more live shows, uh, for a little while. Um, you know, I, I got two, uh, zoom show bookings today. Oh, so hey. I'm going to do two zoom shows in the near future. And, uh, that's, that's pretty cool. So, uh, anybody listen to this who wants me on zoom, uh, I'll do, I'll do your zoom show between now and the 19th. Uh, but I have been going out to film noir in Greenpoint and buying DVDs. So I bought myself a bunch of DVDs today because I'm an I'm a old man from 2004. Yes, I love it. And uh, but here's the reason I do it is that there are so many movies that you cannot stream right now. And I believe that as we move into like a digital space where everything is streaming on different platforms, uh, we are going to have huge cultural um, memory holes where awesome movies from the past will be unwatchable. So like an example is I'm trying to watch um, all of George Romero's old movies again with uh, Louisa. And I wanted to watch Dawn of the Dead, which is, I'd say, one of the top 10 horror movies of all time. And it is, you cannot stream it anywhere on the internet so wow the og one the OG didn't they one. remake that they remade it like zach they made a zach schneider version in the 2000s yeah. and the only yeah. part of that movie that's any good is like the opening intro uh with like a johnny cash song and a montage of the world falling apart yeah that part is awesome but the rest of it it doesn't really have the same like mm, critique it doesn't right. have the same satire uh that that the original did because romero's films all have like political undertones and they really catch capture the zeitgeist of the moment so like when you watch uh, night of the living dead it really captures uh like the anxieties around vietnam and the civil rights movement in the 60s and then uh dawn of the dead captures white flight and sort of urban unrest and the suburbanization of the u.s in the 70s and then yeah. uh day of the dead uh capture it's like in the 80s and it really captures sort of like the um the the nuclear age like what it would mean if we if we actually had like a, a nuclear war and like who would be left it's just like the most unlikable scientists and military people in bunkers he he, he did a really good job of sort of capturing and make and mocking and uh, critiquing uh the moment in american culture and zach schneider doesn't really do that he he just made like a zombie action movie Right. It was an interpretation of the original. Yeah. But and the, so the but, original is like hard as fuck. To, so you can't find it on streaming. That's right. So I went to Film Noir and I bought myself a, a DVD. I looked up on Amazon to get like the collect. When I say collector's edition, it's like it should be a $10 DVD, but they're, they're, they're uh, running about 50 bucks on Amazon. Yeah. And the reason is that uh, copyright stuff, you know, a lot of these, uh, movies from the 90s or earlier than that before the internet was like as big as it as it is now they didn't have um like i don't know fair usage they didn't have like the contracts were not for perpetuity or they weren't for translating to other platforms so you have all of these works of art that are like stuck in limbo 
because they can't figure out like who owns the rights to them. Right. Uh, when, when and how to distribute them on like a different medium. So like it yeah. won't go to streaming. You know, and that's what's happening with like, uh, this is separate, but you know, I, I put out an album in 2019 um, and that album was on Spotify until a couple weeks ago. And then a bunch of uh, performers were looking to get not only performance rights, but publishing rights in the same way that musicians get royalties for publishing. Yeah. And um, it's kind of in a legal limbo right now. So my album is not on Spotify right now. They just like took it off because they don't know how to pay me or they're not doing the right thing in paying me because there isn't a legal precedent yet. Right, which is so fucked up because they could have left it on and kept a record of how many times people listened to it and then paid you out accordingly based on what happened. Yeah, but their like immediate step was to just remove it along with other comedians' records. Yeah, so there's like a bunch of uh, sort of middle middle classy comedians who are not who have been like erased from uh, Spotify. And I have hope. Uh, I'm optimistic that we're gonna get put back up there. But that's like you know that's my own personal shit. What I'm more concerned with, listener, is uh, go analog. If there is art that you like, buy a hard copy of it because you cannot guarantee that it is gonna to continue to exist in perpetuity in your digital library. Especially yeah, that's absolutely correct and true. Yeah, I agree with you. That's like um, with video games, for example, like they can just remove them from your device or from <laughs> your gaming system. And they've done that to people. Yeah. So yeah, and it's like you paid for it, but you no longer get to keep it. Yeah. If this shit pops off, though, you'll have like a cool library. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you have any final words for today, man? I look forward to this. Ed. And and today was supposed to be Funhouse, but we're doing this instead. And I'm like really happy. Yeah, man. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate you. And uh, if you like what you hear, uh, share it. Share it with somebody. Share it with a couple people. Let some people know that you like halal cartels. What really helps is when you um, post a screenshot of the podcast on Instagram stories with a link. Uh, We love that. That's the easiest thing to do. Another thing you can do is write us a review on iTunes, uh, leave us a five star, all that good stuff. And uh, we're going to try to have episodes come out consistently every week moving forward. Hell yeah. Where can we find you, Samir? Uh, At Samir Mon on Twitter and Instagram. Hell yeah. And you can find where can we yeah, where can we find you, Gabe? You can find me at uh Gabe Pack One on uh, Instagram. So G-A-B-E-P-A-C, the number one on Instagram. Thank you so much. And now let's listen to the groovy tunes of Serene Patel. <laughs> <laughs>